join me, if you would, in, in your Bibles to the book of Revelation tonight. I'd like to say a few more things about that fifth seal and uh, some generalizations about the book of Revelation. Uh, if you've heard anything, uh, I guess anything out of uh, the grace movement, you've heard uh, this book portrayed as a real scary book. And I, I was doing some thinking about that this past week, that uh, the Lord Jesus did exactly the opposite of that. He never tried to scare his disciples. He never tried to create fear in them. He never tried to uh, uh, do any of those things that preachers do with the book of Revelation. In fact, he, tried, he made every effort to comfort his disciples. And uh, I'd, I don't know how many times so far in the book of Matthew and Mark, the Lord Jesus shared with his disciples his agenda about going to Jerusalem. Now, they didn't understand it. We find that. They didn't understand the agenda, but that doesn't mean he didn't stop telling them. He told them and told them and told them what was going to happen. And uh, we just realize, as we look at them not understanding that agenda, that everything uh, that's spiritual has to be revealed. And if he wasn't pleased to reveal it at that time, he's just indicating that to them, that you are, uh, you know, you're human, and you're not going to come to the right conclusion on your own, and this has to be revealed. But it doesn't mean that he didn't tell them what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And uh, there in the latter part of the book of Mark, he shared with his disciples that they would all flee from him, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, that you strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, uh, God through his son, never attempted to create fear in any of his children. And that's particularly about the book of Revelation. It's not a book about fear. It's a book of comfort. But would you look with me at three or four verses of Scripture on this subject that the Lord spent a lot of time through his prophets sharing with them the word, and never once was he trying to create fear among his disciples. He wanted them comforted. He wanted them encouraged. He wanted them lifted up. He wanted them built up in the most holy faith. And that's what he's still doing. He is building his people up. He is encouraging his people. He, he's lifting them up. He, he's reminding us that we're sitting in the heavenlies at present. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of First John. First John chapter 4. As we share just a few things about uh, this book in general, and we're going to get to some things, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I, I don't understand some of the things that lie ahead of us, but I do understand who this book's about, and I understand who it's not writing about, and what it's not writing about. He is never going to use this book to try to create fear in God's people. He'll never create, use this book to create fear in you or I. That's not his purpose. His purpose is, as he shared through his prophet, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. And he goes on to share that the war is over because the sacrifice has been made and perfect redemption has been had. So it's a comfort to read through here. All right, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18 
shared here, there is no fear in love. Perfect, but perfect love casteth out fear. And if we've ever been loved perfectly, it's been we've been loved by the Lord. His love is a perfect love. It's not a rising and falling love. It's not an up and down love. It's not a human love. It's a perfect love. And he said, his perfect love casteth out fear. So it's the fear that the things that are in here, if we're looking at it that way, we're looking at it incorrectly. And we must, we ask God to show us the truth about it, but we can back up. I know that you're not trying to create fear in me. You're not trying to create fear about what's going to happen to this world because all of God's people have overcome the world. That's his clear and personal promise. All right, <clears throat> there in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says there, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. And I don't know about you, but most of the time when I heard about the book of Revelation, it was bringing psychological words trying to make converts. That's what the book of Revelation is generally used at, trying to get people to make a decision for the Lord. will scare them into heaven. And that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to comfort God's people that every predicament, every situation, it looks like there's big trouble, but every time the Lord is the victor in it. And that's, that's comfort to his people. It is a comfortable thing to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus. It goes on to say, He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, I'm just going to look at the book of Revelation. He that fears these situations, he that fears these things, he that fears these verses, there's an issue that needs to be dealt with. And God help us to deal with those issues if we have fear about it. Now, we're either looking at it incorrectly, or the Lord has not taken away our fear. And God help us to look at it correctly. All right, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, the scriptures, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage. Now, I, I like that verse of scripture. And it's such, such a comfort to God's people, and particularly when we're reading things that are difficult to be understood. When we're reading the book of Revelation, and it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, but he would be the first to share with us that he is beyond complete understanding. As far as heaven is above the earth are his ways above our ways, and his thoughts above our thoughts. But even as it shares here in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry, Abba, Father. So the Lord Jesus is speaking to the Apostle Paul and he says, you've not been given the spirit of fear. If this is the issue, there's a problem. Now I can understand Judas being fearful. I can understand him being fearful. And when he betrayed the Lord Jesus and saw the consequences of that, he was afraid. He was fearful. He was, he was, and the only sorry that he ever expressed was he's sorry he got caught. That's the sorrow that he expressed. Peter wept too 
but it was a it was a weeping of uh, desire. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but he didn't go out and do what Judas did. It, he was sorry for what he had said and what he had done, and he swore that he didn't know the Lord Jesus, and but he didn't have this fear. Judas, I can understand him completely. Man, he should be afraid. The Lord spoke to him and says, The Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto him by whom he is betrayed. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But God's people have already fallen into the hands of the living God in their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he casts out fear. And when we get to the book of Revelation, as we move on through that book, I just want to keep in my mind at least, this is not a book of fear. It's not a book to create fear. It's not a book to push anybody into an area or a thought or a principle or a place that he doesn't move through his spirit. All right, and then if you'd look with me in Second Timothy. Second Timothy. In preparation for the Lord's death, as I shared, he shared with his disciples step by step what lay ahead even though they didn't understand and didn't comprehend all that he was doing and not and it wasn't until after his resurrection that they understood what went on that it was put together for them by the holy spirit and i've had preachers get after those disciples and get after peter and get after uh the disciples again about their unbelief we are no different than they are we are no different than they were that many hundreds or 2,000 years ago. And we need the Holy Spirit to reveal unto us the blessings of the resurrection, the blessings of the crucifixion, the blessings of the covenant of grace. Oh, we'll walk out and not even understand that. And to say, boy, they're fools. They should have believed this. Well, when the Lord revealed it to them, they believed it to the death. Uh, they they were willing to to uh, be martyred as a result of their belief in the Lord Jesus. But when they understood it, now they didn't understand it, and it's human nature not to understand it, and it's even a saved person's nature not to understand it until it's revealed. And once it's revealed, it cannot be taken away. It will not be changed. Will not have the scriptures being turned by every wind of doctrine that comes along. It steadies God's people to have the truth revealed unto them. They become pointed towards heaven. Now, we've spoken some about backsliding. Mike and I were talking about that last night, backsliding. If, if you have a, uh, a cow and you have a very good rope on that cow and a very good halter on that cow and you've got that rope wrapped around your bumper, and it's on a slippery place, and she backslides, that means she's sliding downhill. But it doesn't mean she's turning her head around because she is tied to that bumper. Now, we may slip and slide, but we're tied to Christ. We cannot turn around. And the people that this doctrine was created for have turned around. Why? Because they never were facing that direction to begin with. Their backsliding is not the term to use for them. It the term to use for them is, and on with joy they received it, and when things got tough, they left. That's what the scriptures talk about them. But backsliding means I slipped and fell. But uh, I still had that, that tough 
rigorous love of Jesus Christ and God attached to me, and he will not let me turn from him. My knees may go out from under me. My feet may slide out from under me. Though I fall, I will not utterly cast out. I'm attached to the bumper. I'm attached to the solid rock. I'm bound to him. And so this is, we may slip and we may fall and we may have lack of faith, but it's not our faith, it's his faith that's making the progress. Our faith falls and falters and sinks and everything else, but his faith does not. And that's what we look at when we look at the book of Revelation. It's his faith that's carrying us through. We may question, but his faith does not. All right. Now notice here in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17, verse 7, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and I like this last part, (laughs) a sound mind, sound spiritual mind. Thinking on, comprehending, believing the Word of God. Now, our spirit believes every word of it with confidence. That inner man, that new man, that new creation has no question about anything that's found in the Word of God. Yea and amen. That's what it says. This old flesh, it may falter and it may have questions, but that part that God leaves within us believes God with every bit. That's the part that believes with the whole heart, the whole mind, the whole the whole demand of God is that part. And that's our down payment on eternal life. Is that part that God's deposited in us with his spirit. He's created a new life and left his spirit in us. So he's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And if A passage of Scripture creates fear. If a book of Scripture creates fear, then we're not looking at Christ, and we're not seeing Christ. And we need to get back to the first love, and to the first person, and to the first one. And I'm not to say that the Lord isn't working on someone that comes to that conclusion. You know, this is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Talk to the Lord Jesus Christ about that. He found out what it was to fall into the hands of the living God. He found out what it was to face the fire of our judgment and the justice of God. It is a fearful thing. And even there in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So the Lord Jesus felt the fire of the justice and judgment of God. And then Hebrews chapter 12. Would you turn there with me? I I just wanted to make some general statements about this book of Revelation uh, before we get into it again here in the sixth chapter. But the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It's not giving us a spirit of fear. Giving us a spirit of of, uh, power, love, and power, and a sound mind. It's just, it's not in the believer to have this fear about God's Word. Now, here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24, excuse me, verse 28, Wherefore, 
We receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now that's the kind of fear God puts in us. That's a godly respect. Godly respect. He's not my co-pilot. He's my Lord. And it's a misnomer to say he's my co-pilot. He better be my pilot. We're along for the ride. He isn't. He's a pilot. Jesus, Savior, pilot, me. <laughs> he's the pilot. So it's there's this just... Uh, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. And I'm just thankful that God enables God's people to serve acceptably in Christ. It's, it's taken all of the fear out. It's taken all of the work out. We don't want to get lazy, but we want to rest. <laughs> rest in His work. Rest in His work. Rest in His righteousness. Rest in His regeneration. Rest in His... Uh, righteousness, rest in his peace, rest in him alright, let's go over to the book of uh, the book of Revelation chapter 6 I'd like to read verses 9, 10 and 11 again, we looked at some of the thoughts here and I'm convinced more than ever that the Holy Spirit has to kill us before he'll make us alive he has to get rid of our old righteousness. There's in the in the next uh, chapter. We'll read a verse. I believe it is. Uh, talks about these are those who have gone through great tribulation, and oh, all the stuff you can read about great tribulation and the great tribulation. You know what the greatest tribulation a believer ever has to go through? The greatest tribulation a believer ever has to go through is when they realize that their religion and righteousness is nothing. Oh man, we tribulate. <laughs> we stand before God naked. We're standing before Him with whom we have to do. And He's got the scepter in His hand. And as, as uh, the old preacher said, we're on a web hanging over hell. At the mercy of God, there's no greater tribulation in a person's life than when God shows them that their works and their righteousness and their religion and everything they have tied themselves to is valueless. And these are they that came through great tribulation. What's that mean? They've been born again out of it. God gave them peace out of it. Great tribulation. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have trouble in this world. It doesn't mean that a lot of saints didn't get killed, burnt, everything else. I'm not saying that. And it's still going on, and it will still go on, and we don't know what will happen to our generation. We'll have no idea. Don't know what's going to happen to Dan's generation, and we don't know what's going to happen to those ladies' generation over there. We just don't know. But I pray to God that he'll put everybody, our friends, our family, our acquaintances, through great tribulation. 
cause them to see they're naked before God, and they'll tribulate, and they'll bow. And that's a great tribulation. Great tribulation. Now, you just tell people, believers in Russia, that uh, they're not going through tribulation. They are right now, around the world. Uh, It's just amazing how God's people are treated, and for no reason, because they're they're just not out to hurt anybody. (laughs) But that's the way it is. But these who have gone in their way washed... They wash themselves in the blood of Christ. All right. Revelation chapter 6. Verse 9, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now, they held a testimony, but that testimony was the testimony of Christ. That's what we hold. We don't hold our testimony. We hold his testimony. Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Where did we get that testimony? Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. It's his testimony about Christ that we hold. Now our testimony isn't worth a flip, but his testimony is, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And God's people hold to that tenaciously. The Apostle Peter, he was a rep, I believe he's a representation of the church when he said things like that. Because every believer in Christ Jesus will have that testimony and will testify that testimony. What did the Ethiopian eunuch say? He says, here's water, what does hinder mean? Philip said, if thou believest, thou mayest. He says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. All right, let's get dipped. All right, that's his testimony. Verse 10, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long? We say it today. Lord, how long are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to put up with this? It's a bigger mess now than it was. How long are you going to put up with this? And... uh, I don't know about you, but heaven just getting sweeter. <laughs> it's looking better all the time. We don't have to prove depravity. My goodness, men are doing that for us. All around us, they're just proving they're just depraved by their actions, their deeds, their words, their thoughts, what's printed in the newspaper for them, and again, they're just they're demonstrating we don't have to prove depravity one whit. Can't do it anyway. We just declare it. And it's just being proved all the way around us. And God's people are saying, Lord, how long are you going to put up with this? How long? And that's what these people are doing. How long are you going to put up with this? Well, the answer is, and the Lord brings it out here, He says, How long, Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. I like that. Not one is left out. Talk about getting rid of, of this reward system and work system. White robes are given to every one of them. And you know what? They're identical. They're identical. And if you look at the name in the back, it's not fruit of the loom, it's the fruit of Christ. That's what the title is. It's the fruit of Christ. We're the fruit of Christ. And we have identical 
shiny, righteous robes. The righteousness of Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Every one of them. Now there seems to be, in this passage of Scripture too, the thought of a robe that's demonstrate the glory that we have with him for eternity. But that white robe, the righteousness of Christ, we read about that in the book of Isaiah, goes on to tell us here, uh, it says, every one of them... Uh, were on every one of them white robes, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. All the elect are not saved. I don't know how many times I've read in not so much in Genesis, but Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God giving us an insight about himself on how many times he said he was going to put away Israel and start up another nation. (laughs) Why did he keep them? Now, we know one thing, that he had a covenant. The second thing is, he destroyed them. There's the line of the Messiah. gone he had a covenant but he had special interest in keeping them intact he may send them off to Babylon and he may kill an entire three or four generations out there in the wilderness because it says they all died in unbelief but they came into the land and they had their children and they had their kings And you can follow this through. The book of Matthew and the book of Luke, here's the line of the Messiah. We've got to have Rahab in there. We've got to have Bathsheba in there. We've got these. This line has to be made. So he protected them as a hand to protect her chicks because his son was going to be born through this line. He had a covenant, but he had special interests too. Now, the elect... Not all of them are saved. And that's the only reason in this world and heaven that this has not been wrapped up. The only reason. Now we don't know what generation that last one's going to be. That's not our business. That's one area among many thousands. My ways are not your ways. As far as heaven is above the earth, is my ways above your ways. There's an area. Now, let's look at at this for just a moment. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord gives us some insight in the scriptures about this wonderful subject. That these, the saints in heaven, in their spirit form. It's their spirit form. Their bodies are still on the earth. Their bodies have gone back to the dust. Whatever consequence they went through to enter into glory, whatever door of death they passed through, their bodies were here, but in heaven. They are recognizable. They recognize the Lord Jesus. They recognize their white robes. There is a, there's an attitude about them in heaven that is almost like we are in the sense of their knowledge, greater than our knowledge, but they're not just up there stuck under a altar asleep. They're cognizant of the things that are going on in glory, and they praise God. 
All right, now here in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Scriptures share this. Second Peter, Second Peter, chapter 3. And if I said Timothy, I'm wrong. <laughs> Good book. <laughs> Second Peter. Did I say Timothy? Doesn't matter. It is Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack. Now, they're subject for a lot of lessons right there. The Lord is not slack. The Lord is not slack. He's trustable. He's not going to renege. He's trustable. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Now, he has a lot on the line. He chose a people before the foundation of the world. He gave that people to the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus died for them on the cross. He said uh, he came not to... He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He laid down his life a ransom for many, and the Holy Spirit is about finding those lost sheep and regenerating them after they've heard the gospel. Now, he's not slack concerning his promise. And he's long-suffering, and he's long-suffering to the usward. He's long-suffering to the church. He's long-suffering to the sheep of his pasture. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And in that verse 15 of that same chapter, that the account, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now, there was a song out 35 years ago, I guess. And at the time, it was a little catchy. But after you're saved, you say, that's just terribly unscriptural. Wait a little longer, sweet Jesus. <laughs> it's a country western song, and Buck Owens used to sing it. And he was on Hee Haw. And he'd sing it on Hee Haw as the, as the uh, hymn of the hour or whatever. Wait a little longer, sweet Jesus. No, 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 no. That's not what God's people. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the prayer of the church. And that's the prayer of these saints under the throne, under the altar. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, the only reason that I haven't wrapped it up is there's some lost sheep yet to be saved. And if I'd have done this in your generation, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> If I'd have done this in the generation before you, your parents or whatever part of that generation. So he has a timetable, and he's keeping his timetable, and he has a date when the last sheep will meet the gospel and the Holy Spirit will be there to regenerate that one. And when that happens, it doesn't matter whether they have ten temples in Israel. That's when the end comes. The long suffering of the Lord and salvation. Turn with me, if you would, back to the book of Exodus, chapter 34. 
Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. Exodus 34 and verse 6, it says, The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will not by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, upon the third and fourth generation. Long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. And then in the psalm, Psalm 86. Psalm 86. And that verse over there we just read, we, we see the consequences of Adam's sin unto the third and the fourth generation. If you live so long, uh, Rose has seen the fourth generation. She's seen the consequences of the fall to the third and to the fourth generation. No, I've seen it to the third. Some have seen it to the second. <laughs> and some have seen it in the first. I've seen the consequences of my father's fall to the third and the fourth generation. And you know what? It doesn't get any better. No, it doesn't get any better. Here in the psalm, Psalm 86. Psalm 86. Verse 15. Psalm 86, verse 15. But thou, O Lord, art a, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Now, let me just say this about that verse. It's used by people out of context. If God wants something done, does it happen? Yeah. If God wants something done. Now, if he's willing that nobody perishes, who's going to perish? Nobody. It's universal salvation. If we look at that verse from that standpoint, it's universal salvation. God's willing, no one perishes, and if he's willing, he wants something, it's going to happen. If he wants something and it's not going to happen, he's not God. He's not God. Now, he's the peanut God of religion, but he's not God. 
So the us word in there is the key. Not willing that any of the us word, any of the sheep should perish. The Lord Jesus said, I'll lose none of them. He's got a lot on the line. And he will fulfill his word. All right, over here, uh, Psalm 86, verse 15. We read that. Turn with me to the Romans chapter 9 now. Romans chapter 9. What a wonderful passage of Scripture this book of Romans is, and particularly the ninth chapter. It's just there to answer a lot of our questions. i got a question, Lord. All right, read Romans 9. You'll get the answer to it right there. Now, if you're one of mine, you won't kick against it, and if you're not one of mine, you're going to have a problem with this. Just a real identification mark. Boy. Uh, the account of someone... Someone stole something in a Bedouin camp. And so this wise patriarch, he says, I'm going to find out who did that. So he put some perfume on his camel's tail. And he told the men that were suspected, he says, you go around there and you grab that camel's tail, and that camel's going to tell me who stole this article. Well, they went around, nine or ten of them went around, and Came back, and he says, all right, hold your hands out. Nine of them smelled perfume, and one of them didn't. He says, I got my culprit now. Yeah. Man's afraid to pull the camel, because he's afraid that camel's going to tell him who did it. He identified himself. Yeah. Yeah. And people identify themselves that they're against God when they read this and have a fit about it. <coughs> they don't want that sweet perfume on them. <laughs> All right, notice here. It just, it just answers a lot of questions. What do you mean your purpose? Well, my purpose is to save my people. Well, what, what, is, what do you mean by that? Well, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Oh, that means love less. No, it doesn't. That mean, and then a, a person that believes the gospel says, you know, I understand that. I understand God hating everybody. I can understand that. God hates sin. I can't understand how he could ever love me. Now, that's what I can't understand. I can understand God hating people. I can't understand how he could love anybody. That's pretty good indication. Something's happened. You no. Know? All right, notice here, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us? Oh, my goodness. Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. What if God permitted this so that he could show glory to even us? Man, I about fell out of my chair. That was just so sweet. Even us. Even us. Now, one other verse over here in First, First Timothy. 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me from for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus, of our Lord, was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Who is fa- this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. I'm a pattern. I am a pattern. I'm a picture. Peter was a picture. Paul is a picture. A picture of every believer. Corrupt to the core, worked on by God, and called to be saints. What a joy. I'm a pattern. Now, under the, now, no wonder he can say this. Now, under the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If he can take me in that corrupt, undone, third and fourth generation fallen critter of Adam and make me a child of God, let me be a pattern of what God can do. I can declare, I want, I was a rotten guy. And now, I'll die for him. And did. All right. First uh, Peter, again. Uh, we were in Second Peter. Turn with me to First Peter. This is about Noah. <laughs> this is about Noah. First Peter, chapter 3. First Peter chapter three verse eighteen. First Peter chapter three verse eighteen for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. I just read a commentary this afternoon that said he went down to hell and preached to a whole bunch of lost people trying to get him out of there, and that's a lie. Man, that commentary, I've got to throw that away. That's garbage. He didn't go there to preach. I don't know what he did, but he didn't go to hell trying to get a bunch of people out of there. They're there justly. He never died for them. That's just another, that's another lie. Verse 20 which sometime was disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited on the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. He was long-suffering for how many years? Years and years and years and years and years he was long-suffering till that ark was finished. And then Methuselah died. And Methuselah's name says, when I am gone, it will come. I think he died the day the rain started. (laughs) 
He's long-suffering for eight souls. Put off the destruction of this earth, but those eight souls were glad. Those eight souls were glad. All right. And then, would you turn with me over to the book of Revelation, chapter 7. I'm jumping ahead, but this has something to say about those white robes. Revelation, chapter 7, and with this we'll close. Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9. They were given white robes, every one of them. Here's another group, another statement about that. 144,000, 12,000 out of every tribe. What's that mean? That means the whole collect number of the church. It's a, it's, a, it's a number that represents all the church. In another place, that number of 144,000 is termed this way, a number which no man could number. <laughs> I mean, it's just statement about this is the entire collective body of Christ. Twelve tribes out of, or 12,000 out of, out of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. All right, now notice here, verse 9. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and upon the Lamb, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these that are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And he said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. <laughs> you know about it. Let's hear it. And he said, uh, uh, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. God got a hold of them and jerked them every way but loose. He put them through the greatest tribulation they'd ever had. Complacency is where we are. And he comes with the gospel and upsets everything. The greatest, greatest, oh, tribulation is when he pulls us out of our religion. And they wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb and cleanse from all sin. And that's those saints up in glory that are rooting us on. There in Hebrews chapter 12, a great cloud of witness. That's those rooting us on. We're here by grace. You're there by grace. You'll be here by grace soon. <laughs> All right, we're going to close there.